I would invite you to turn to Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you sh- says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their garments on them, and he sat thereupon. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered... Oh, I'm going to stop there. May God add a blessing to the reading of this text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. I could just keep going. It's good reading. You should do it sometime. I want to uh, begin by referring to uh, a book called The Last Week by Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan. Many of you know I'm a big Borg fan. And uh, in this book, Marcus Borg describes the, the coming of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem and riding a donkey, and there is this kind of ad hoc rally going on and this parade uh, of people shouting and waving palms and throwing down their cloaks. And at the same time, On the other end of town, at the far gate, there is another parade happening. Pontius Pilate is coming to town. And in that parade, there are hundreds and hundreds of soldiers. There are wonderfully adorned cavalry soldiers on horses. There are slaves. There are chariots. There are trumpets and musical instruments. And there is Pilate in his gold-crested chariot looking noble. Uh, Peasants are persuaded, or compelled rather, to come and do their own shouting to Pilate. And there are banners with the graven image of Caesar on them coming into the city. And really, there are, these represent two contrasting images of what peace looks like and what the world can look like. Yeah, I have on the one hand this understanding of uh, the kingdom of God, uh, one particular understanding that comes to us through scriptures. One cannot help but hear echoing in the collective mind the the 
text from Zechariah 9, 9. O daughter Zion, shout aloud. O daughter Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. And that's one vision that comes to us. And the other one is one of peace through military occupation. Peace through violence. Peace through oppression. Peace through subjugation. And ultimate control by Rome. And it seems an almost deliberate demonstration on the part of Jesus. In fact, this is all orchestrated. Jesus sends someone's, someone ahead and, they, and it was de- deliberately meant to paint a picture of Jesus. In fact, this is probably the most explicit picture of Jesus as Messiah as there is anywhere in the Bible. Because one cannot help when they see Jesus coming in on a donkey. They cannot help But remember this text that comes to us from Zechariah. And these words had become, in the minds of first century Jews, uh, one of the many verses that was an anticipation of a mighty king who would save Israel from Rome and anyone who would oppress them and reestablish the throne of David. And yet, this was not quite the Messiah they were expecting. Uh, everyone's favorite verses had a lot to do with armies and, 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 and weapons and a king coming and taking control and vanquishing Pilate and Caesar ultimately and taking over by violent means. But that is not what Jesus is doing and that's not the kind of Messiah Jesus was and is. In fact, we can t- Jesus is doing a very strange thing here in that Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem as if the war already happened. Uh, within tradition, when we are going to war, when the Jewish people were going to war, when anyone in the first century world was going to war, they rode out with their army on, a, on a, the biggest horse you could find, the biggest, mightiest, craziest looking horse you could find, manes flowing, a sword drawn, you know, you want to look impressive. You want to look scary, right? You want, to, you want to intimidate your enemies. But when the war is over and you have been victorious and you have declared peace, you return to the city on a donkey, a peaceful animal, an animal of industry and burden. And so Jesus comes in, and you know, everyone knows that. Jesus comes in on a donkey. It's as if he's saying, the war is over and peace has been declared. Amen. And I'm sure a lot of people are standing around going, well, peace is great, but where was the war? We missed the war. What happened? Before anything happened, Jesus came into town and declared peace. Which is odd. Because no war had happened, Rome was still in control. And in fact, Rome began to assert itself. And by the end of the week, this Messiah was dead. So what had happened here? And it's as if Jesus was saying, 
we are declaring peace. And we're not doing it with the violence. We're going to declare peace without the violence. We're going to declare peace through justice. We're going to declare peace through an equitable way of living. Palm Sunday, like almost everything Jesus did, drew a contrast between the world of His followers that they lived in, in, the, in Palestine, and the kingdom that God proclaimed through Christ. The domination system of Rome on one hand, and the equitable commonwealth of God on the other. Oh, the Romans promised peace indeed. And in fact, this had never, there'd never been a better time in the world of Rome taken as a whole. The wars were all over. Pompey had been, had been put down, the last rebellion there. Caesar, in fact, had been declared the Prince of Peace after the last war. And yet it came at the cost of subjugation and domination by those in power at the expense of the thousands who were not. So Jesus on Palm Sunday declares a different kind of peace. One that is not at the expense of one's dignity, of one's freedom, of one's humanity. One that does not depend on violence and exploitation for its accomplishment, but one that is based on justice and God's love for all of humanity. And in fact, there is this thing going on where Jesus has already declared the kingdom of God victorious. It's as if Jesus is saying, we've already won. We've already won. And in fact, not to object to what uh, Shirley was teaching the children, the, the shout Hosanna is not so much saying God save us, but really proclaiming that God has saved us already we've already won we've already found salvation we've already declared the victory violence may continue but we refuse to participate we refuse to live in this world we choose the kingdom of god we choose victory now and even when they killed this Messiah, we had already won. And by the third day, I don't want to give it away, but by the third day, the whole world knew it. In so many ways, things are, are very different now. We don't live in an occupied state, although I guess it depends on who you ask, right? But, and we don't live under a foreign oligarchy. <clears throat> Yet the contrast between the world we live in and the kingdom of God that Jesus declared still seems so stark in the face of Palm Sunday. Like Martin Luther King Jr. marching in Birmingham, Palm Sunday still demonstrates a contrast between this world and the kingdom of God. Amen? For us today, there is still a choice between the equitable and just kingdom of God or a world where Peace for a few is found at the expense of many. And I really wish there was a way uh, of accomplishing this. I wish we could rally people together 
And everyone would come around to seeing that the kingdom of God is such a better choice than the choices we have made. But of course, it didn't work that way in Jesus' time. And it is no different today. The equitable and just kingdom of God has been getting rejected by the domination system for 2,000 years. Over and over again, people of power have put down any quest for the just and equitable kingdom of God. And the way it were, however, like on Palm Sunday so long ago, Jesus today, as we wave our palms and we sing our songs and we gather in this sanctuary, Jesus today has declared victory again and again and again. Hosanna! God has saved us. Amen? The way it works is how it worked in Jesus' time. The way we change the world is how Jesus changed the world. By refusing to buy into it. By refusing to live that way. I know that when we turn on the TV, every television show tells us the, this is how the world works. And I know that every time we turn, walk, go watch a movie, they tell us this is how, you know, the hero is the guy who ultimately kicks the enemy's butt with a, with a sword or a laser gun or a bomb or something. Victory is in saying that isn't what the kingdom of God looks like. And it isn't buying into the bigger is better and survival of the fittest and dog eat dog and I got mine, let them get theirs. Jesus took this bunch, these people, and He said that it doesn't have to be this way. The world tells you it's this way, but it doesn't have to be this way. The world says you are poor, but Jesus over and over again said you are rich. Don't let anyone tell you you're poor. You're rich. The world tells you you are meek. Jesus says, no, you're not meek. You are powerful. The world says you are a slave. Jesus says, I I say you're free. The world says you are unworthy and sinful. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Now, go do something. Jesus empowered people to confound the realities of their situation by living as one who has been transformed. By living as one who has already been saved. By living as one who has already known the love of God and the justice that comes with it. And then the early church carried all of this forward the rich have everything the poor have nothing okay let's give it all to god give it all to god and then we don't have to have rich and poor anymore the rebellion finally gets moving and people are taking up arms against rome sorry the peace god wants for us cannot be accomplished through violent overthrow sorry Jews and Gentiles should not be together while they are here. Men and women should not be together while they are here. Slave and free should not be together 
There is only one master here and no one is a slave. Amen. Following Christ means that we must choose to live differently. And by our living differently, the kingdom of God is realized through every person and every time we choose the kingdom of God over the world we live in. It sounds a bit naive, I gotta say. You know, can I, I'll admit, I'll admit this sounds silly. It's like saying, uh, we'll just act like you don't, you know, you don't have leukemia. And, and you won't have leukemia. It, you know, leukemia doesn't work that way. But the kingdom of God does. If we just refuse to live in this world, acknowledge that we are not citizens of Utah, we are not citizens of Salt Lake City, we are not citizens of the United States, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we live in a foreign land. Amen? This is not our land. We live in the kingdom of God. And it's by living out that kingdom of God that we will realize the kingdom of God. The world says each person for themselves and then it paints this illusion that hard work means prosperity. And I'll tell you what, those of us who have lived paycheck to paycheck or even have gone without a paycheck know that that is not always how it works the kingdom of god says that we are all ultimately intimately connected one to another then there is no one who stands alone prosperity cannot be prosperity unless all prosper amen the world says something is wrong with you if you don't fit a particular box that helps keep things black and white for us so that we know who's in and who's out, who's, who's good and who's bad, who's right and who's wrong. The kingdom of God says, God makes no mistakes. You're on the right track, baby. You were born this way. Amen? The world says that God sits in judgment on the individual and that your personal piety and which group you belong to, that's what really matters. The kingdom of God says the only judgment is against a system that tries to keep people away from God by making all these restrictions and all these rules when what really matters is experiencing God's love for you and for the world. Amen. Palm Sunday is really meant to convey two things to the people of Jerusalem and two things to you and me. The kingdom of God is different than that world they lived in. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of Caesar. And the kingdom of God is different than the world we live in today. And the second thing is, you are empowered by God, with God's help, with God's anointing, with the power of the Holy Spirit to change it. To transform it. To be ambassadors from this kingdom of God to a hurt and a broken world around us. That's what it conveyed to the people of God so long ago. And I pray that's what it conveys to you and me today. Two parades came into town that day. 
One celebrating the violent domination system of Rome and the religious institutes that collaborated with them. And one that celebrated God's just and equitable kingdom where humanity is valued and God's love prevails. Easter is on its way. We have a long week of the world trying its damnedest to say God's love doesn't matter. God's love doesn't really make a difference. God's love is a fairy tale that really doesn't impact your life in any practical way. But by Sunday morning, it is our time. It is our time to stand up and say, when the world said no, God said yes. Amen? It is our time to say we will not let God's love be squashed out even by death. There's so much hopelessness out there. There's so much despair. There's so much pain. There is so much suffering. There's so much loss and lostness out there. And it's the world doing its darndest to kill the love of God that is born into each and every one of us. And it is our job, it is our anointed calling to embrace that love of God that we have been gifted with and to use it to change the world around us and to be that beacon of hope in this world of despair. As we come to allow ourselves to be in touch with the pain that is the passion of Christ over the next week, the resistance of the world against God's love, as we allow ourselves to mourn the loss of our Savior, let us remember that God declares victory even now. As if Sunday morning next week has already happened. And yet we are charged with carrying that same love forward in a way that transforms this world. Let us pray. Great and loving God, God of victory, God who has already saved us. We thank You for this Palm Sunday. We thank You for the celebration, for the triumph, for the rejoicing. May it stay with us even as we experience the passion, experience Your last commands to us, and learn to live into Resurrection Sunday. Amen.